0: Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv, named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen. Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different; he simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How. Movement dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are and listening anywhere and around the world I've got a major, major scientist on the show with me today, a, a leading world thinker, uh, Gleb Sipersky. Uh His primary vocation is helping people, organizations, and, and our society as a whole avoid disaster through science-based decision-making and emotional and social intelligence. So we've got a lot to talk about to unpack that. His expertise comes from being a scholar specializing in wise decision-making, emotional and social intelligence, goal achievement, meaning and purpose, mental health and emotional well-being, altruism, and he's also a professor at Ohio State. Gleb, or Dr. Gleb, Dr. Professor, Professor Gleb. How are you, my friend?
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Philippe. I really appreciate that introduction. Very generous of you. And just Gleb, just Gleb is fine.
0: All right, you. Gleb. That would be great, but I, I, you know, when I, I I got your information and I saw it and I was like, wow, how do you, how do you use science to set goals? I didn't even, you know, that's something that most people don't even think about, but I also thought about how accurate it would be to manifesting your goals, to actually achieving your goals by using science. Where did this come from,
1: my friend? Sure. So there's actually quite a bit of research on goal setting within scientific settings, Especially within psychology, behavioral economics, so research on how the human brain actually works, and as opposed to how we would like it to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'd like to think that just by imagining that uh, uh, a a thing that we can actually achieve the thing, but it's actually quite a bit more complex than that. We have to understand what our goals and motivations are. We have to understand mm-hmm. what we care about, and how to manage our own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Because the only thing in life we can really control, the only thing in life we can control is our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Mm -hmm. We can't control the outside world. We can't control other people. We can't control the environment. We can only control how we respond to these things. So it's all at the heart is knowing our minds, knowing who we are, our thoughts feelings and emotions and behaviors and how to change them to achieve our goals so the science of goal setting is figuring out our values what we actually care about as opposed to what we often lie to ourselves that we care about Mm -hmm. and then making sure that we can use our reason and logic to achieve those goals so it's a combination of emotions and reason so using emotions to shape our values and motivate us and using reason and logic to figure out the best ways of getting there. That's a very wow. broad overview, and we can talk about that in more depth, but that's what it's about.
0: Absolutely. So, so yeah, let's get a little deeper into that uh, and unpack that. What's, what is emotional uh, and social intelligence?
1: Sure. So emotional and social intelligence are two distinct parts of having to do with emotional awareness. Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence is being aware of your own emotions, what you feel, and what you experience, so why you're feeling what you're doing, what you are, how that's motivating your actions, and managing those feelings. So awareness, self-awareness and self-management, and then other awareness. So awareness of other people around you, what they're feeling. So that's also called empathy, awareness of others. So that's emotional intelligence. Now, social intelligence is something somewhat distinct. It's awareness of the ties between other people how person x how susie feels about mary how mary feels about her job you know let's say you're in a workplace or how john feels about the church pastor if you're in a church setting or something like that so Mm -hmm. being aware of ties between other people so awareness And then management, which is also called charisma. So being able to use your emotions to influence other people's emotions and the ties between them. So that's what good leaders are able to do. It's a fundamental trait of of leadership is social intelligence, Mm. being aware of emotional ties between other people and how to manage those ties. Because about 80% of our decision-making research shows comes from emotions how we feel about things and what motivates us to do those things. So leaders, this is the fundamental quality for leadership. Emotional intelligence, so awareness of your emotions and managing your emotions, and awareness of the emotions of others and managing their emotions. That's social intelligence.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for that. Thank you for for unlocking that for me. Um, You know, you have a a major uh, document that you sent to me that we're going to give to our listeners. It's 11 pages. And it's called Intentional Insights Think Better, Live Better. It's a tip mm-hmm. sheet and guidelines for making wise decisions. Talk to me about um, how to find your purpose using sure. science.
1: Well, that's a, somewhat of a different uh, topic, so let's talk about those two things separately. So the tip sheet is available for anyone who emails me at Gleb at intentionalinsights.org and tells me that they heard me on the Philippe Matthews show. So anyone in your audience who would like to email me and tell me that they heard me on your show at Gleb at intentionalinsights.org will get a free copy of this tip sheet. And this Very tip fantastic. sheet is to help audience members or your audience members and anyone else make wise decisions on any significant aspect of their decision-making. Mm-hmm. Again, so our intuitions, our emotions, sometimes make good decisions, sometimes they lead us astray. And there are systematic ways in which they do so, which are described in a document, and we can go into them. But basically, the document is meant to help you make a big decision of any sort. You know, do you want to, let's say, buy a car? and then which of these cars do you want to buy? So an ordinary person, you know, which of these cars do you want to buy? How do you make a choice between them? It can be overwhelming. And the sheet is meant to help you make that choice among a number of overwhelming options that considers both your emotions and your reasoning and your logic. Or let's say you're a business leader and you're choosing who to collaborate, which supplier to work with among, let's say you have five potential suppliers. So I do a lot of consulting for business leaders and non as well on the, these sorts of topics. How do you make a choice between five suppliers who you want to work with that have a number of characteristics that are important to you? Timeliness, cost, and so on. Reputation. You can use the same tip sheet to make a choice among these suppliers. Mm-hmm. That's the wow. purpose of the tip sheet.
0: It's almost like algorithmic mathematics. I mean, there were some things in there that it, it's, it's pretty darn accurate. I've done some, and it's pretty darn good. I really, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating uh, how, how you came uh, up with this. There are some <laughs> words, or not words, but terminology in the, in the document that I want you to unpack for us, um, sure. because it might be a little intimidating for those who have never seen it before, mm-hmm. uh, such as myself. Um, multiple <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> multiple <laughs> attribute <laughs> utility theory. What is that?
1: Mm. Sure so those words are there mainly for people who know about these things and want to delve into them in more depth so it's you don't need to understand the you know the words that are links in the document to those words for people who want to explore them in more depth so multiple attribute utility theory is the science of making decisions among it's the, the approach of making decisions among options with multiple attributes. So let's go to a supplier. This is something that – or uh, let's, uh, let's uh, go to something I'm working with right now. There's uh, – one of my clients is working to choose some speakers for her association. Uh-huh. You know, so an association choosing speakers. Now, there are a number of traits that speakers have. They have cost. They have expertise. They have experience. uh, They have knowledge of the client base. They have demographics. So they want a certain diversity characteristics. And uh, all of these are quite different. So there are multiple attributes. That's a multiple attribute utility theory. So there are multiple attributes, and each of them have certain relevance. You know, how much cost would you trade off for somebody with better expertise and reputation experience and diversity? All of these things trade off against each other. So what the document helps you do is put numbers on all all of them. How important Mm -hmm. is cost to you on a scale of 1 to 10? How important is reputation? How important is expertise, diversity, and so on? And then you you put put your priorities, what is important to you on a scale of 1 to 10, and then you rate the speakers on a scale of 1 to 10. And then you simply multiply. You know, if let's say a speaker uh, has 5 on cost, and the cost to you is really important. It's 10 that gives the speaker 50. Mm -hmm. And then for for each of these you would multiply them out, and by doing so you would get a final number for each of them that gives you a pretty good reading on how good that option is for you. You can do the same thing for cars. You can do the same thing for an employee you want to hire. You can do the same thing for, you know, if you want to choose a favorite brand of breakfast cereal, <laughs> you know, how important <laughs> that is for you uh, because that's a, a significant decision because you'll keep eating this breakfast cereal every day of your life, you know, so something like that. Anything that you want to make a significant choice on, that's a really good approach.
0: Wow, it really is. This is amazing. There are some other links in here too uh, uh, in terminology. Status quo bias, what is that?
1: Yep. Status quo bias is our tendency to want to settle For what we have right now, rather than choose uh, something that's going to be actually better for us, but will require us to make an effort to do so. I'll give you an example. Uh, Most of us don't like going to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's not a pleasant thing for us. You know, but when our tooth hurts, we have a choice. We can keep bearing this pain, keep bearing it and bearing it and bearing it and bearing it, or choose to take. Uh, more intense pain by going to the dentist and getting her tooth drilled, or something, or taken out. So intense pain, but we'll have no pain later. And there are some folks who just, you know, don't go to the dentist because they're like, you know, it's it's not worth the short-term pain. But mm-hmm. overall, they don't realize that the added up pain from this short-term every day they experience their tooth hurting is going to be quite a bit larger than the one-time cost of going to the dentist the, in terms of pain. So this is the concept of status quo bias, that we are biased toward the status quo by failing to intuitively recognize the overall amount of costs that we're paying. And that's something that causes us to get stuck in ruts, you know, stay in a job that's not a good fit for us, in a relationship that's not a good fit for us, and so on, because of the efforts of leaving the relationship, finding a new job, and, you know, same thing in so many ways.
0: Uh, This is amazing. There's actually uh, quite a few biases that that you uh, outline uh, in this uh, work. Confirmation bias, what is that? Attentional bias, uh, overconfidence bias, optimism bias, pessimism bias. Can you uh, unpack those just a little bit?
1: Of course. So let's go one by one. Uh, You said, what was the first one you said?
0: The first one was uh, confirmation bias.
1: Confirmation bias, right. So confirmation bias is... A bias where we tend to, for people who have strong beliefs about a topic, they tend to let those beliefs cloud their experiences. Mm. For example, let's talk about the business world. If someone in the business world has a strong attachment to a certain project, let's say they launched this project uh, and they really think it's a great project and they're proud of their project, but it's really not getting them the money that they wanted. Now, other people, are, if other people out, from an outside perspective can be like, hey, why are you keeping investing you know, good money after bad? Why are you keeping mm-hmm. throwing money after the project that's not a good thing for you anymore? But that person is still really attached to the project. They're like, well, it's my baby. I built it, I created it. How uh-huh. can I not keep doing it? Well, that's how many people go bankrupt because they keep you know, throwing money, good money after bad into a project that's not worthwhile. The same thing in a relationship, if people keep believing that this person is good for them and they don't see the signs, the evidence of that person being harmful for them. And uh, confirmation bias often works in politics as well. So when strong political ideologues on the left or the right would tend to deny when their favorite political figures are misbehaving or lying or deceiving or doing something bad and proper. There are many people who when Hillary Clinton said that, oh, London and Bosnia under sniper fire who are denying that this actually happened or when uh, Trump right now is tweeting about him being wiretapped by the Obama administration without any evidence and the FBI is coming out and saying, no, this didn't happen. There are people who are denying that Trump is uh, saying things that have no evidence. In mm-hmm. So this is what uh, confirmation bias is like.
0: So what is the uh, attentional
1: uh, bias? Attentional bias, uh, great question. So attentional bias is a bias where in events that happened in the past tend to strongly weigh our current perceptions. One famous example is plane flights. So people are much more afraid of flying in airplanes than they are of driving in cars. And many people, when they have a choice, let's say you know a four-hour trip, a four-hour car trip somewhere, they would choose a car over an airplane because they're afraid for their safety. Well, statistics actually show that you're much, much less likely, hundreds of times less likely to die in a plane accident than in a car accident. But plane accidents are big and spectacular whereas car accidents are small and not spectacular. Plane accidents tend to be reported on widely, and we have them in the news. So whenever they happen, they draw our attention, and we tend to develop this image. Our emotions tend to develop this image. it's one of our ways our gut leads us astray. They tend to develop this negative image of, oh, this airplane it's bad, you know, disaster. In reality, cars are much less safe than airplanes. So people are, I talk about this often, people are much better off actually taking planes and taking cars on trips where they can afford to take either, but uh, the people who fear for their safety are doing so irrationally. They're harming themselves, in other words. They're making themselves less safe by taking planes.
0: Wow, this is incredible. Um, uh, Optimism uh, versus pessimism bias.
1: Sure. So these are... This uh, is a bias that depends on people's personality. Some people tend to be intuitively optimistic. I am such a person, so I tend to be optimistic, and uh, this causes me to, when I don't watch out for it, so just intuitively, I tend to make bad decisions because I'm optimistic. I tend to not think about when things I say might be misinterpreted by others. I -hmm. tend to, and I have to really catch and watch myself when I'm, you know, when I'm too optimistic, when I write emails and things I say lightly, um, you know, when I make a joke in an email and or in a phone conversation or something like that, people sometimes misinterpret. They're not as charitable as I would hope they would be. Or things take more money or more time than I intuitively assume because I'm more optimistic than I am. I should be, and this is something I have to watch out for, and I do because I know this about myself. Many people don't. Now, the opposite, fa- the opposite goes for my wife, actually. She <laughs> tends to be pessimistic. So I'll give you an example. Um, we recently decided to sell our car, and in order to sell the car, we, we, the map was actually quite good. We decided that it would be really wise to sell the car, uh, she thought it would take a really long time to sell the car. One of the things she, that, that she was arguing against selling the car is that it would take a lot of hassle, stress, bother. Well, we decided to sell the car a week ago using these decision-making strategies, and we've already, uh, today, actually in a couple of hours, we're going to go sign the paperwork to sell the car. So it took much less time than she thought. And I predicted to her, I said, like, I said, you tend to be pessimistic. This is what will happen. And because she and I know this about ourselves, she was like, okay, you're probably right. I tend to be more pessimistic than the average, and you're probably right. It's not going to be that much hassle and stress to sell the car. And it turned out to be much easier than she thought, pessimistically it would be. So it depends on each person's personality, and we need to watch out for our own biases. If we know where we're biased, whether we're optimistic or pessimistic, we can correct for that. And there's to, also so,
0: overconf- there's overconfidence as well. If you talk yes, about so
1: overconfidence things. is a distinct bias. It's not the same thing as uh, optimism or pessimism. So it tends to exaggerate our confidence in our already existing perspectives. So let's say people who are pessimistic will tend to be overconfident about their pessimism. People who are optimistic will tend to be overconfident about their optimism. So basically, people tend to be much more confident than they should be. Uh, I'll give you an example. When people say that, when they're asked, uh, are you certain about this question you know, 99% out of 100? when they say this, they're actually right about 70% of the time. <laughs> wow. So they think they're right 99 out of 100, 99% of the time. They think that they're right 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a really serious issue because it, it it means that people are making mistakes much more often than they think they are. So mm-hmm. we should, I am, and everyone else should be, this is something that plagues everyone. We should be much less confident in our estimates than we are. Things mm-hmm. will most likely not go nearly as um, in, in the way that we envision. So we should be much less confident than we assume.
0: You also talk about the a halo and horns effect. What is that?
1: Yeah, so that's one of the fascinating biases where we tend to associate positive or negative emotions with someone because – of uh, a single aspect of their personality and then spread it to all of their personalities. I'll give you an example. In business settings, so uh, I do, like I mentioned, I do a lot of consulting. One of the things I consult on is HR, uh, hiring practices. And people who hire, they tend to, when they do interviews, they see, let's say, they see somebody who is physically attractive to them, men or women they let this physical attractiveness color the rest of their perceptions Mm. this has been studied throughout this is absolutely the case that they let their physical attractiveness color their perceptions and give them higher scores on things completely unrelated to physical attractiveness let's say aptitude at uh, communication or uh, ability to uh, do database programming or something like that they get higher scores without any reason for it and people who are not considered physically attractive. Let's say in our society, obesity is considered not physically attractive. People who are obese will tend to get lesser scores on other things despite the lack of any reason for it. The same thing for people who are tall and short. I'm sorry for you short people, I'm tall myself, <laughs> but, uh, you know, short people will get lesser scores than tall people without any justification for it, so I'm happy to be 6'1", six, uh, six you know, <laughs> I'm happy about that. I mean, I I get undue um, and unfair advantage. I don't sure. mind thinking, you know, I would prefer that it wasn't the case in our society, but I don't mind taking advantage of the advantage I do get, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm 6'3", so we're in the same, we're, we have the same, body. we have the same. Uh, there
1: you go. <laughs> you, you have a yeah. more of an advantage than I do. Just by Just
0: my two inches. It's not much. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> it, it actually matters. There are, uh, you know, every inch actually, there's been research showing that an inch in height is correlated with a certain uh, increased income. <laughs> so wow. it, it actually doesn't matter. Yes.
0: I definitely got to refine that uh, uh, paper. Uh, <laughs> I definitely have to read that. Now, uh, you talk about, Uh, making your choice and sticking with it and checking your gut and you talk Mm -hmm. about the power of pre-commitment after you have done all of the work talk Mm -hmm. to us about that because a lot of people have a difficult time getting past go even if they have a green light Uh, and they have done this work but they're not they don't have that pre-commitment talk to us about the importance of that
1: sure so pre-commitment is a really interesting strategy, and I'll give you an interesting study that was done. There was a study that was done where uh, people, study participants were given – they were allowed to choose uh, two photographs of themselves. like really professionally made photographs, and they were given the option of two – no, I'm sorry, sorry portraits – two portraits done themselves in different styles. And one group was allowed to choose either of the portraits at the moment they were finished another group was allowed to uh, wait and pick among those two portraits for two days and have both portraits in their apartment. Well, the group that, was, that chose the portraits immediately was quite a bit happier with their choice than the group that, was, that had the portraits in their apartment for two days and was able to compare and study every aspect of them. That seems Mm -hmm. very counterintuitive, you know. Why would you be less uh, happy with your choice if you have more time to make the choice and kind of stick with it? Well, it turned out that these emotions, these negative emotions associated with making the choice, swaying between one choice and the other, caused people a great deal of stress and unhappiness. Mm -hmm. That's one aspect of the research. Another aspect of research shows that when we have more than one option, we are much less likely to be motivated to pursue one of the options. So uh, many people (laughs) might have heard the famous story of uh, a general who, when his army crossed the river, ordered the boats burned behind him. And so the army was much more motivated to fight after the boats were burned because they had no option of retreat. So people are both much more motivated to pursue anything that they committed to if they don't have any other options, and they feel much better. So they're more happy and more motivated if they don't have an option. I'll give you an example that my wife used uh, when starting her own business, Intentional Insights, the nonprofit that I run with her, IntentionalInsights.org. She was, at the same time when we were starting up the nonprofit, she had her own business, consulting business and nonprofit management. So we talked about that and we said we used the pre-commitment strategy. And she used the pre-commitment strategy to call her clients who, were, who she was getting good money from and say, hey, I'm closing down shop, sorry, I'm putting my efforts into this new business. And mm. she had much more energy and much more time to spend in this business and was much more motivated to make the nonprofit that she and I run succeed because of this. So it's a very effective strategy to pre-commit to something and not leave yourself other options.
0: Wow, that is, ext- you know, I, I remember hearing this from like various different entertainers over the years uh, mm-hmm. when they would do interviews on shows. I remember <coughs> Eddie Murphy said he, he never went to to get a job or anything because if he did, he would have something to fall back on. Uh, and yeah. and I, that was fascinating when he said that. that he, mm-hmm. I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was bodybuilding, um, he, he he said that he never let anything distract him uh, when he was going into contest mode, his father had passed away. And, and, mm. and uh, someone called and said, you got to come home. And he says, I can't, because I've got, you know, I've got to, I've got to win the Olympia. <laughs> and, and, you know, some people would argue, you know, with that, but when we talk about pre-commitment, it's, it's really relative to the, to the individual. There's not a really a right or wrong answer. It's just, uh, the, the mindset of breaking through those fears and those barriers and leaving yourself no other option, I think is absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's just how our mind works. That's what the research shows is effective for our minds. So anyone, any listeners on the show who are thinking about making a major choice, mm-hmm. it would be really good for them to not leave themselves back out to back up if they're sure the choice is good don't leave yourself options. Just so, I mean, with is it, it, stick with it. Yeah,
0: yeah, this is good because this, is this what we talk about when we say we need a calculated risk? I mean, how much more calculated can it be?
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. But once <laughs> you make the risk, you need to stick with it. Wow. Ah, you
0: you got to see it through. Stick with,
1: yep, exactly.
0: Fantastic. Wow. Um, and you know what? This really, this model of science-based goal setting I can see this working in every aspect of one's life.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. This is what mm-hmm. it's
0: most people for... think. It's only business, or you know, nonprofits, or you know, Fortune five hundred companies would think this way, or, or even entrepreneurs, which is also another market. Mm-hmm. But this is something that you know uh, you can use to help raise your children.
1: Absolutely, this is meant for all aspects of life. Raising children, you know, what babysitter do you want to choose among? you know, five babysitters or something like that. It's mm-hmm. for all aspects of life. It's not only for business and unfortunately it's being been applied mostly to business because that's the people who have the money to pay for this research. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I'm trying to do is through Intentional Insights, the nonprofit I run, is to popularize this research for a broad audience. This is why I created this tip sheet, this is why I'm offering it for free to anyone who emails me at Gleb at and tells me that they heard me on the Philippe Matthews show.
0: Wow. I appreciate you, Gleb, and yep, you're coming back on and you're going to be on a live video show. <laughs> this was I would love to This was absolutely do amazing. Oh my goodness. This is incredible. Uh, and yeah we can we 'll we'll go even deeper and and, and have mm-hmm. an even larger audience, uh, but this is absolutely fantastic uh, in closing how, I know how people can get the tip sheet what 's your web address and how can and, and, and social media
1: sure so for my web address for people who are interested in contacting me personally for consulting coaching, they can go to gletzpursky So my name, GlebCypursky.com. You can also just Google it, Gleb For people who are interested in content about decision-making, they can simply go to IntentionalInsights.org. That's IntentionalInsights.org. We have videos, articles, memes, podcasts, and so on about all of these topics. So IntentionalInsights.org for folks who are interested in it. And for the tip sheet, again, email me at Gleb at
0: Fantastic. Gleb, thank you so much uh, for being with me today on the show. Uh, you're an incredible mind, incredible genius. Just absolutely love you. You're great.
1: Thank you so much, Philippe. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, my friend. You take care. We'll see you guys, or should I say we'll hear you guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> next time on the Sleep Massive Show radio show. Take care, everybody.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.